Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of July 31st through August 2nd, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So, the biggest news this week, and we'll just hop straight into it, is the latest development in the frenemy relationship between exhibitor AMC and distributor NBC Universal. Uh, earlier this pandemic, Universal bragged about how Trolls World Tour was a success due to its VOD only release strat- VOD first release strategy, and said that they would continue the strategy with other films. AMC fired back, saying that they would not play Universal films in their theaters if they continued with that strategy. Well, this past week, while AMC didn't make a full 180, it seems that Universal was able to get a concession out of AMC. So the 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 main de- thrust of the deal is that uh, AMC will allow Universal Films to they'll still get first look right they'll still have Universal Films play first in theaters. However, where the traditional theatrical window previously was about si- uh, you know six months or so or three or three months or so, uh, they've lowered that to only a mere seventeen days before Universal is able to show their films on VOD. Uh, if you remember from past episodes, again, the theatrical window is the time period which movie theaters and exhibitors have exclusivity to show a film before it's made available for home media, be it VOD, streaming, or physical release. Up until this point, the theatrical window, again, has been about 75 to 90 days, and AMC going down to a 17 window, they mark 1-7, is kind of insane. Uh, the reason theatrical windows have been as long as they are in the past is presumably big blockbusters have long legs, you know, they do really well for multiple weeks, uh, and then, you know, when when they finally peter out of uh, in theater revenue, that's when you know uh, distributors will double down on revenue and get an additional boost in revenue through the home media sales. And you know, presumably the they didn't wa- um, one they didn't want to cannibalize the in theater uh, revenue that they were getting from the box office, which generally is higher than the uh, VOD uh, revenue by you know putting the VOD out too. So they wanted to basically satch- uh, take all of the demand out of the market. So all right. 17 days, that's kind of the big thrust, and that's what a lot of people are talking about. There are some other details in the deal beyond that, though. So first off, in addition, um, you know, while AMC is allowing Universal to, sort, to stream their videos on PVOD at the 17-day mark, they, Universal is required to price them at about $20 per rental uh, as opposed to a $3 to $6 rental or $3 to $6 purchase. Uh, this price range can only happen, you know, the, the $3 to $6 price range can still happen at the traditional, um, you know, theatrical window, you know, at the three-month mark. But, you know, for that short-term uh, premium VOD, uh, you know, rental is going to have to be twenty dollars. So, secondly, while Universal obviously benefits from being able to monetize their films via PVOD sooner, AMC actually will get a benefit too. They're going to get a cut of the PVOD rental that they are currently not getting. Uh, this is pretty big for AMC because while they do have a, a VOD service, um, I don't think it's the biggest one out there. And so, this is a way for them to, you know, gain, meaningfully gain from the streaming revolution. I believe the numbers I saw were floating around about 10% of VOD revenue would go to AMC. AMC. Uh, so this cuts into, you know, uh, AMC uh, Universal was previously getting, you know, 85 to 90 percent, uh, you know, revenue share from, you know, the $20 rental, the rest going to the streaming services, iTunes, Apple, um, or Google Play or Amazon Video. Um, AMC is not getting a further 10 percent cut, but I guess for them, the economics work out. 
Now, the third part, not all films are guaranteed to be coming to, BOV, to PVOD at the 17-day mark. I anticipate uh, that while technically they could do so, uh, large blockbusters such as Jurassic World, Fast and the Furious, or the Minions movies will still stay in theaters exclusively for longer. It's just that Universal has the option of putting them there, especially if a film isn't performing as well. You know, this kind of, I think, makes sense from both point of views. If a film isn't making meaningful revenue in the box office at, say, week six or so, you know, why do you have to wait until week 11 before you can get it on VOD. Uh, Universal definitely wants to get that money in sooner. Uh, and then, you know, for AMC, you know, they're not going to be getting a ton of money. They're not standing to gain a lot from having it stay in theaters. So if they can also get a little bit of additional revenue from VOD sooner, that would work for them. So, you know, I could see a case in the future where they, they look at the box office performance if it's a bo- if it's below their expectation, you know, if, if it uh, the per theater average is just a lot lower um, than they were expecting it to be. They might end up si- shifting it to PVOD uh, sooner than sooner rather than, than later without repercussions, at least from AMC. Likewise, you know, they may plan on having it come to PVOD, but change their mind later on once they realize, oh, this actually has a surprising word of mouth. Now, also, while a lot of these films, you know, I foresee a lot of less less um, for the, a lot of these playing to the smaller films, not to the bigger block offices. You know, the films aren't a hundred percent going to be pulled from theaters just because people want to see them at home. Uh, they're still going to be seen on the big screen after you know seventeen days. It's just the option that they'll be existing coexisting alongside the the VOD. Now. In the long run, this may lead to sort of one-times in theaters. You know, previously it would run for maybe 11 weeks. Now a film may run for maybe eight weeks instead. Um, but I don't think we're moving to a model like in China where Hollywood movies only get one month in theaters before getting pulled entirely. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, finally, the last bit is that while this this is a deal exclu- specifically between AMC and Universal, now, AMC is apparently shopping this deal around to other studios. The terms of the deal seem to be now about 20% of gross PVOD revenue, a little bit better, or a little bit more better in, for AMC uh, in terms of the rev share compared to the 10% with Universal. In exchange for this, they're going to give up a 2% rental. So a rental is the two, the split of revenue between an exhibitor and distributor that they make for box office. So if a film makes $100 million uh, in box office, you know, if the split is 50-50, you know, AMC will get to keep 50 and then Universal will get to keep 50. Now that's shifted to more like a 52-48%. Uh, or, you know, if they were on other terms, such as, you know, maybe 55-45, they may shift toward closer to 53-47, uh, something like that. So, you know, AMC is giving up some of their share of box office revenue in exchange for this streaming revenue. Um, you know, Universal seems to be a little bit better uh, because of this, um, you know, because they got the first mover advantage. Um, one other note is that they are also requiring that for, I think, all movies, uh, you know, Universal will have to commit an additional $2 million in marketing, you know, so the idea being additional marketing uh, before the release leads to more people coming to theaters to see it, which drives up the box office revenue that AMC is able to take home. So those are the points of the deal. Now, let's do a little bit of analysis. What is this actually trying to do? Why is AMC agreeing to this? Um, And, you know, how does this play for the rest of the market? I think the strategy for AMC 
is that they're trying to diversify their revenue streams. You know, current like with this, they are now able to get a slice, as I said, mentioned earlier, of streaming revenue that they were not able to of VOD of VOD movies. Um, as the marketplace in a post-COVID world makes it so that people value the in-theatrical experience less and VOD streaming more, it makes sense for AMC to want to diversify the revenue streams and have more cash flow from that. You know, again, I doubt we'll see the big blockbusters break the theatrical window soon. There's just too much revenue from the box office to be had there. But smaller to mid-sized films and rom-coms and comedies and horrors that have their biggest impacts in the first two to three weeks before dropping off relatively quickly, I think this deal is perfect for that. You know, I think the other bet that Universal and AMC is making is that prior to the pandemic, the average American only saw about four theaters, four films in theaters per year, about once a quarter, if that. Uh, with hundreds of films being put out in theaters, you know, that's actually a lot of films, especially the low-budget films. If you're, you know, if you're saving your money to go see the, uh, you know, the 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 Marvel films and the Disney films and maybe the big blockbusters like Jurassic World in theaters, a lot of the smaller films kind of get left by the wayside. Um, and, you know, they're not getting watched until they come to VOD at home, which means AMC is not getting that revenue they would otherwise. So, again, Universal gets to monetize those films that, go, that would go unwatched in theaters sooner, and AMC gets access to those eyeballs of people who weren't going to go to the theaters anyway. Um, plus, another big deal is for Universal, they only have to run one marketing campaign. Previously, you would run one for or, you know, the theatrical release, and then you run another one three months later and saying, now available on Blu-ray and DVD. You know, with the shorter window of only 17 days, it's a big deal for Universal that they only have to spend the marketing dollars once uh, and combine, you know, maybe run a slightly longer campaign to say, start with coming to theaters and then ended up with it now in VOD, basically, after the first couple of weeks. Uh, there's also stuff here about um, about AMCs and their financial systems, but we'll get that to a second. Now, a lot of media outlets and other box office discussion forums I've seen online are hailing this as the end of the in-movie theatrical business as we know it and the harbinger of the end of exhibitors. Don't get me wrong. I think this is a big deal for the industry, and we'll definitely want to keep an eye on this, especially as Universal films start coming back to theaters. That said, it could very well, and it could very well be that a decade from now, we're looking back on the history of movies, and this is the point where things change dramatically. That said, there are also a lot of qualifiers on this deal and the broader industry that make me hesitant, at least right now, to cry out that the sky is falling. So first off, AMC is the biggest movie exhibitor in the country. Out of the 40,000 streams uh, screens in the US, they own about 8,000 of those screens. The next two biggest, Regal and Cinemark, are somewhat comparable. They have, you know, but they have smaller screens sizes. They have 7K screens and 4.5K screens, respectively. Um, there are also a huge number of independent mob and pop exhibitors that shouldn't be discounted, though they do lack the leverage to fight back against, you know, Universal. So, uh, if Regal and Cinemark decide to, you know, not be happy, so kind of this deal benefits AMC. Obviously, Universal is able to show the theater the their stuff in AMC's theaters at the very least and have it on streaming and not get pulled from AMC. That said, we have no guarantee that Regal and Cinemark will also play by these rules, right? They may say, hey, if you're going to break the theatrical windows and play, put it on VOD within 17 days, we're not going to show your stuff in our theaters. Now, that would be very, very risky for... Um, 
for Reload Cinemark, if they end up, you know, seeing that, oh, our revenue gets cut dramatically and AMC ends up taking more market sale because of this, that's not a great place for Reload Cinemark to be. But on the right side, on the other hand, that would be something that might give Universal pause to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be putting these out, you know, on VOD, right? Um, uh, and it may backfire on them. You know, again, I mentioned earlier, AMC has somewhat fortune the scenario of the three big movie exhibitor chains. They're kind of in the worst place financially. Um, they owe several billion dollars in debt. And while they have restructured some of their debt to have some liquidity for the coming months, they're still in a tough spot, much more worse than Cinemark and Regal are. Um, you might even say in some cases that this might be a Hail Mary deal for AMC to try to save themselves before filing for bankruptcy. And, you know, if they do end up filing for bankruptcy, who knows if this, you know, deal will end up, you know, standing the test of time. Um, one hypothetical that actually might be interesting that I thought about would be, you know, AMC obviously has allied with Universal on this. What happens if Cinemark and Regal strike similar deals, not with Universal, but with Sony or Warner or Paramount, and if they see a return to, you know, in the old golden age of, of movie theaters or of movies, you would have, you know, uh, or production studios and distributors also own the movie theaters in which you would see movies. And so, you know, there kind of became a, a vertically integrated industry at that point. You know, while it wouldn't technically be vertically in, integrated in that it's not the same company, you would still have it maybe that, hey, if you want to see a Universal film, you have to go to, AM, to AMC. If you want to see a uh, Sony film or Warner Brothers film, you have to go to Cinemark or Regal. Um, so who knows? That might be very interesting to see, especially if Disney, uh, who apparently isn't interested, we'll talk about more of that in a second, uh, gets in on that also. Again, just a hypothetical, but it would be interesting, like, I guess, to see that happen. Um, that said, you know, the news also so far is that other exhibitors, particularly those abroad, are not particularly happy with AMC and Universal in this deal. Um, you know, obviously, if things come to VOD sooner, piracy in uh, in uh in international market is going to become more of a problem, which will hurt the bottom line of exhibitors there. Uh, and particularly, you know, the the economics of international exhibitors, you know, they seem pretty staunchly against the sorting of the theatrical windows, and they haven't been contacted by Universal with regard to making any similar sort of deal. So, you know, if the U.S. exhibitors don't end up boycotting, you could very well see international exhibitors boycotting Universal films, um, as much as that might hurt them. I think... Part of this, and we'll talk about this again in a little bit, is that um, I think this is Universal being more, you know, I think Universal is seeing that more market share is going to Disney, right? Disney made up 33% of, you know, box office revenue last year here in the States, uh, and they all had major blockbusters, right? And so, you know, like we talked about before, the four biggest you know, the the, the, the the metric was that Americans see maybe four movies a year, once every couple of months, and they're probably going to be saving it to see, you know, maybe a big summer blockbuster, maybe something in the spring, maybe something Thanksgiving, and then maybe something around Christmas time. You're probably going to try to see it. I wouldn't be surprised if people saved it exclusively to see, you know, Marvel films, Pixar films, Disney animated films, and maybe one other film, which very well may go to the DC, uh, you know, superhero films like The Joker, right, or Sony's Jumanji, which was he was a which was one of the top uh, one of the top films last year. Universal wasn't in the top one near the top films at all last year, and so you know they may be seeing themselves be squeezed out of taking you know getting that aisles, and they definitely are playing to that streaming audience that they really need that they really need to monetize, and so that's their interest here, I think. Um, 
And speaking of Disney, you know, again, look at the five major studios. Universal was fourth place in domestic market sale with only 11%. Sony had 12%, Warner had 14%, and then again, Disney at 33%. Paramount was the only one that Universal beat out with 5% of the market. Um, so, you know, the reports say Disney is not very interested in this sort of deal. And again, why would they? They own nine of the 10 most profitable films last year. You know, they're uninterested in pursuing this sort of window. They benefit very much by having films stay in theaters for a long time, making a lot of money in the box office, and then, you know, at around the three-month mark, putting it on VOD. Or on even then, Disney might not be even interested in VOD. They may be interested in beefing up, you know, their Disney Plus catalog down the line, right? So, you know, I also took a look at some numbers, right? So I pulled numbers for the 11 films I could find that Disney released in 2019 and the 12 films Universal released. Um, you know, 17-day theatrical window puts... Uh, somewhere around the two and a half week mark. So you know, let's look at the, what the per theater average was for these two. The average per theater average average was for these two uh, studios at the three week mark, and what the average gross revenue was at the box office for each of their films in the week three of their runs. On average, Disney films were making about six point five thousand six point five k per theater at the three week week mark. Um, the worst performings were dark. Phoenix, Dumbo, and Maleficent, um, and if you ignore those, the per theater average jumps to 8K per theater. And the average gross in week three was $28 million. In comparison, Universal Films were only making 2.1K dollars per theater at week three, the best performing being us, and they were only making around 4K per theater, right? So, you know, the floor of Disney's week three performance is pretty much the ceiling of uh, us, of if Universal's week three performance. So, at week three in the movie. So when Disney is much more, is still interested, they're still going strong. Universal is much more interested in looking on ways like, okay, this this has probably made them as much money as it's going to make. We need to monetize these films in other ways. Another, you know, another metric we can look at is what is the average week that a film's per theater average drops below the $1,000 mark. Disney's films, on average, take 11.4 weeks to get to $1,000 per theater, you know, obviously working down. Universal's films only take 6.2 weeks. So that's about, you know, a little bit less, a little bit less than half the time or more than half the time uh, it takes, right? So Disney has twice as long legs as Universal does, it seems. If you convert that to days, Disney's films take about 80 days, which basically works out to where the current theatrical windows are. Um, and again, Disney films are all major blockbusters, so there's no mid or small budget films they're producing. They're all family family films that benefit by having long legs. So this also got me curious. I want to look at the other three major film studios, Paramount, Sony, and Warner Brothers, and where they all fell in with these metrics. You know, the per theater average at week three, the average gross on week three, and how long it takes for their per theater average to deprecate down to 1,000 per theater. Knowing that, we can make an educated guess as to whether or not these you know studios may be interested in a similar deal with an exhibitor, be it AMC, or they try to strike something with Regal or Cinemark. So Paramount in general is performing is the worst performing of the big five. Uh, and you know, their per theater average at week three was only $1,912 compared to Disney's, you know, six thousand or uh, Universal's two thousand, and they only gross on average five point two million dollars per theater. Uh, their films take only about five point six weeks to get to the one thousand dollars. So their only and their only real blockbuster franchise in recent years has been Mission Impossible, right? And they didn't have that last year. So that's why their numbers are pretty atrocious. I would see Paramount 
Paramount completely open to having some sort of deal if a, th- if a theater was willing to, to have this with them. Uh, Sony and Warner, you know, are slightly doing slightly better than Universal. On the other hand, from the numbers I could find online, they both release fewer films than Universal, but those films in general do better. Sony's films at week three made up about $3.3 dollars, um, three point three k per theater average, about twelve million gross on average. While Warner's makes about three thousand dollars per theater, about eleven million dollars gross. Uh, in addition, you know, the weeks cross below the 1,000 per theater average mark at about 8.75 weeks for Sony and about 7.3 weeks for Warner. So they have, a, you know, a couple weeks longer than uh, uh, than Universal before they, they are looking at the $1,000 per theater mark. Um, if they want to limit their theatrical revenue to uh, VOD streams at the three-week mark, um, Sony and Warner would have a lot more to lose than Universal. Not as much as Disney, but definitely more than Universal. So I would expect if they ended up making some sort of deal, which it's not entirely out of the question that they do so, um, though I would be less like less uh, thinking they would because they have a lot higher percentage of bigger blockbusters compared to Universal. I would say they probably would have those smaller films stay in the theaters maybe thirty to forty five days as opposed to the to the ridiculously short seventeen days. You know, um, as one other side effect of this, I would I would be interested to see if AMC would be more interested in in open to having Netflix and other streaming first companies strike similar deals. Uh, last year, for example, Netflix's The Irishman offered AMC a forty five day theatrical window before you know releasing on the streaming service, but they got stonewalled by all the exhibitors who wanted the full ninety days. You know, obviously Netflix couldn't offer a share of PVOD rentals to AMC because they wanted to put it on streaming. But who knows? You know, maybe AMC might now be open to, to Netflix and, and other streaming first platforms making a sort of similar deal. Uh, another kind of externality of this deal, PVOD apps such as iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play, they're all going to be a lot more valuable for these companies. Again, AMC does have a PVOD platform, not nearly as popular as the big players. Um, the fact that Universal slash Comcast owns Fandango, which is another PVOD service, again, kind of, and they offer PVOD on their TV boxes for Comcast subscribers. Uh, Warner does the same for AT&T subscribers as well. This means that these distributors with cable boxes would be more open to this. So I would see maybe, uh, you know, um, uh, Warner maybe a little bit more open to this than Sony would perhaps. Uh, in any case, you know, again, I think t- the takeaway from here and looking forward, the real important thing to pay attention to is whether or not exhibitors follow an AMC suit, or if they hold strong and they stonewall Universal. Um, you know, if they if they end up staying staying steady, then this could blow up in Universal's face. If not, then who knows? Secondary to this, not. I think the other distributors also need to strike deals, right? I think you need Warner and Paramount and uh, Sony. Disney's definitely not going to do for this, but I think you know it'll be it'll, this will play into the calculations. If you know if uh, Regal and Cinemark don't see Warner or Sony or Paramount making this kind of deal, then they might be willing to you know put pressure on Universal to go back on this deal, right? On the other hand, if they're seeing that hey Warner and Sony and Paramount are saying oh yeah we'll totally wa- we'll totally down to have our, our VOD stuff come soon if you are and you know AMC is open to this, then uh, you know Regal and Cinemark may not have the leverage to say we're not you know they may be able to say no Universal films, but they might not be able to say it for every film unless they just become completely owned by Disney, right? Um, you know, I think if two of the uh, big five, other big five studios, or at least one of the other major distrib- uh, exhibitors give, the dominoes will continue to tumble and it becomes, you know, a 17-day theatrical window all across the board. 
Otherwise, you know, I think after COVID-19, after the pandemic, after we get a vaccine and we get to a sense of normalcy, um, you know, the multi-year deal could very well expire and we go back to the normal, you know, six, uh, three month, you know, period. Uh, also, again, if AMC goes bankrupt before any meaningful revenue is generated from this scheme, that could kill this, you know, completely. Okay. Anyway, it's been 23 minutes talking about this deal. Um, there's some other news I wanted to cover, though obviously not as in depth here. I think this is you know, this is definitely something to keep an eye on. But other news I wanted to cover real briefly. Um, you know, we want to look at some box office numbers, uh, especially China. China's reopening, and there's some interesting numbers out of there. But first, here in the states, uh, Dave Franco had his de- directorial debut, the horror film from IFC, The Rental, uh, which came out two weeks ago, and so this is its second weekend. Um, it's the second weekend on top of the box office chart. So props to them. Uh, made about $290,000 in 242 theaters. Again, down on the premiere week by about 28%, but um, it's kind of interesting that, you know, this is still like the second the film, uh, the second film to, original film to come out since the pandemic in theaters really, after the Trolls World Tour and do this well. So um, yeah, uh, the number two film was uh, classic Goonies with $208,000 in 156 theaters. And number three was Jurassic Park with 192000 in 261 theaters theaters um the next major major release looks to be you know august 12th uh, unhinged from soul Souls films um and the coming week and you know this coming weekend we're looking to maybe see north american theaters hit 2000 total open um so you know hopefully we're, we're getting there soon um you know, I think it's something about like I think five thousand in the states. So yeah, uh, moving internationally, you know, we have some smaller headlines. Uh, Melbourne uh, in Australia has instituted a six-week lockdown, so movie theaters are definitely closed. Uh, same with the Philippines, unfortunately, uh, they've reinstated, uh, you know, modified uh, quarantine there. So uh, a tenant, I don't think, will be an option there. Uh, in India, you know, despite a report last week uh, that they would reopen, uh, they are planning on staying closed until August 31st. Uh, in the UK, uh, they made mas- face masks mandatory to wear in theaters after, you know, initially there was some wishy-washiness about it by the chains. Uh, week over week, the UK was up 16% from the week of July 17th to July 24th. Um, this is compared to a 1.8 increase week over week from uh, July 10th to July 17th. So, you know, things are accelerating there a little bit, um, though you know it's still only three hundred percent, three three percent of what it made the same weekend last year, um, six hundred thousand to I think twenty million pounds total. Um, Currently, only 20% of theaters have reopened in the UK and Ireland. Um, the past weekend, you know, the 31st, it was the reopening date for major changes in the UK. So we'll see how those numbers. Uh, move uh, once we get those numbers in. Um, they did announce that Sir David Attenborough's documentary, A Life on This Planet, will be coming to UK theaters in September. Uh, in Canada, Cineplex has began reopening 25 of its theaters in Ontario. Uh, and we also got news that the SpongeBob movie, which is coming to CBS All Access in 2021 in the States, will be opening in Canada on August 14th. All right, let's move to China. So uh, we did note that the two-hour rule last week was supposedly a guideline uh, more so than uh, a hard rule, but it looks like some theaters in China are actually uh, you know, closing, uh, ha- enforcing this for cleaning, uh, an intermission for cleaning. Um, as opposed, So in, instead of having a hard limit on how long the movies can be, they're just going to have an intermission at two hours uh, in order to clean the theaters. I don't know what that's actually going to accomplish in terms of keeping people safer, but whatever. Uh, it could potentially have an impact by reducing the number of screenings that can be done per day, but we'll see if that's any materi- materiality. 
Um, also, apparently, Tenet passed the censors in China, so we're looking forward to seeing it released there. Um, apparently, the eager, Warner Brothers is eager to get this on the first batch of release dates on August 26th to limit the piracy that could happen. Um, we'll talk about Interstellar, which had a re-release, and how Christopher Nolan did amazing with that film in China this weekend. Um, but again, for Tenet, the final date of release to be determined, but I'm so excited about it. Um, another re-release in China announcement of uh, Avatar, um, James Cameron's uh, Blue People film, is getting a 10-year anniversary release in China. Um, it did pretty amazingly there. Uh, it actually, I believe, was the film that really spurred the building of a ton of movie theaters in China. I believe there were less, only a couple thousand across the entire country 10 years ago. Now, you know, there was like, you know, I think like 70,000 or something ridiculous like that screens in the country. So, um, you know, notably, we'll see if it does well enough on its re-release to dethrone Avengers Endgame as the top grossing film of all time. Uh, that's going to, again, happen in August. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now, let's look at the films that actually came out in China this past weekend, this past week. So, Doolittle, uh, the flop here in the States with uh, Robert Downing Jr. talking to dragons and animals and whatnot, uh, it's surprisingly popular in China. It topped the charts almost every day for the first, I believe, two weeks uh, that it's been in theaters, um, or excuse me, in the in the one week since it, well, no, at this point it's been... Um, yeah, at this point, it's been a full week in theaters. Uh, it's basically topped the charts every day it's been out there. And it's grossed in total about $12 million US, about 80 million yuan at um, at the time. Uh, it's definitely going to hit $100 million, I think it's about $14 million at this rate. Um, it's the first film since the pandemic started in any market to break $10 million. Uh, and so, you know, props to RDJ and, and Doolittle for that. Um, I guess the Iron Man power is still strong there. Um, you know, not sure if this is actually going to get the film to be profitable in the long run, but when you consider its underperformance here in the States, um, hey, it's not my kind of movie, but you know, I'm glad to know it's being enjoyed by somebody. Um, another re-release, um, actually as of recording yesterday, so uh, August 2nd, I'm recording this on the 3rd, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar came back to theaters. It made about $120 million in its original run back in 2014, and it's not any less popular now. Apparently, due to the limits on theater capacity, some people were actually having trouble buying th tickets to see uh, Interstellar in theaters. Um, it topped the China box office on its opening day with $2.9 million US. Uh, this is the highest highest one-day total for any movie in any market since the pandemic uh, started. This beat out South Korea's Peninsula, which only opened to 2.4 million US dollars in Korea on its opening day. Uh, this should push Interstellar over the 700 million mark, you know, sometime this week. Um, lifetime gross worldwide. So that's no small feat. So props to Chris Nolan. And it bodes especially well for whenever Tenet does end up releasing in China. Talking about some films that didn't do so well. Unfortunately, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog also uh, premiered in China this past weekend. Uh, but it did not do well. I guess Sonic just is more of a Western icon than it is in the East. Um, South Korea and Japan also had pretty bad openings. In China, Sonic only mustered $1.3 million over four days. Um, and then another film worth noting is Vin Diesel's superhero block, uh, film Bloodshot, net about $5.7 million over 11 days. So not that hot either, though I guess it is, it is getting somewhere. Um, finally, to some streaming news. So... Uh, in its first month, we got some numbers for NBC's uh, ad-supported streaming service at Peacock. Apparently, they are now at 10 million signups. Uh, this includes the limited launch on, Con on Comcast service back in April uh, and the wide release two weeks ago. Um, in comparison to this 10 million uh, subscription mark, uh, HBO Max, 
uh, has in its first month about 4 million users. So, you know, good on NBC for getting uh, this successful launch. We still have no update on the Amazon and Roku uh, fire and situation with, um, you know, Peacock or HBO Max. Uh, we'll definitely let you know when that happens, if it happens. Um, moving on to Netflix, uh, it's the end of an era. Uh, Marvel's movies, the last Marvel movie has left Netflix's service. The last film to leave was Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, which is now headed to Disney Plus later this month in August. So end of an era, there was you know definitely a time before Disney Plus was a thing where you know this was a huge cast cow uh, for Disney in that they were able to get the licensing rights for Netflix. But there was also just as big a benefit for Netflix to get people to watch, to sign up for their service to watch their Marvel films. So End of an era. Um, speaking of Disney Plus, uh, after the success of Hamilton, it looks like they're going to be adapting the popular Broadway musical Once Upon, Once on This Island, um, as opposed to the original cast recording of Hamilton that dropped a month ago. This would be a brand new live action adaptation. So you know we'll see if this continues the trend of live action Broadway um, showing up on Disney Plus. Uh, finally, in some slightly offbeat news, apparently if you're in Texas or a select number of other states, you can rent out a movie theater from Cinemark for $100 for you and 19 of your closest friends to watch some fan-favorite films on the big screen. Um, these come with cheap concessions, such as $5 popcorns. Um, of course, this is in states uh, that have already reopened and I was seeing relatively high COVID cases, so do so at your own risk. But it's interesting to see domestic theaters pursuing other forms of revenue. Um, I guess also worth mentioning in weird news, not strictly movie related, but uh, congrats to uh, SpaceX and NASA for bringing back the two astronauts uh, on the first manned SpaceX mission to the uh, International Space Station and back. They splashed down over this past weekend. This bodes really well for the $200 film from Universal starring Tom Cruise Cruise, directed by Dom, Doug Lehman, uh, to put Tom Cruise in space. Uh, so yeah, this is just another step move forward to getting to see Tom Cruise in space. Anyway, with that in mind, in any case, this is the end of the episode for the Box Office Watch podcast. If you have any feedback or suggestions for the box office concepts for me to cover, shoot me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. If you could leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at thecompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.